Like Pastor Lowell said, my name is Stephen Anglis. Um, I am the son of Tim and Christy Anglis and uh, the grandson of Roger and Nancy Hendershot and the nephew of um, Robin Thompson. Um, I, I did go to Moody Bible Institute, and I think we have some pictures. Do we have some photos that we can throw up? That was me on graduation day uh, this past June, and uh, I not only got my degree, but I also found... Um, a future spouse, and that is Kimmy, uh, who is now my fiance, and we will be getting married uh, in June. And invita- uh, invitations are still being worked on, uh, so don't worry. It's not that you didn't make the cut. Uh, we're just working through uh, those, but I wanted to kind of announce that a little bit. And she's here today, um, so I'll try not to embarrass her too much, but no promises. Um, and feel free to talk to her and get to know her a little bit, because um, she's, a, she's a really special girl. And that, yep, that's our engagement pick. Um, so, the Lord has just really been doing some great things in my life uh, these past four years. Um, I did graduate from Moody, and I'm now teaching Bible and history um, for middle school and high school uh, at a Christian school in Kirkland. Um, and whenever I say that, I don't, do we have any Costco shoppers here, or is it all Sam's Club? You know how all the brands are called Kirkland brand? It's because of that city in Kirkland where I work. Um, so, that's, that's our little claim to fame uh, right next to Seattle, but... Anyways, uh, I want to share with you a message that I was really excited to share um, for Valentine's Day, um, and, I, and I think it's going to be very relevant. Um, so let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, please just bless uh, this church, this body of believers. Um, bless uh, the husbands and the wives and their marriages. Bless um, the children uh, and the siblings and their family. Um, and may we just be a vibrant group of believers Um, who glorify you in all things, um, uh, whether at our work or at the home or at church, Lord. Um, And as we celebrate your love on this Valentine's Day, um, may we use your example of love um, as a way of showing love to others. Um, So bless all that and bless today in your son's name. Amen. I also have to say that it's usually typical for me to um, start out my sermon with a good Redskins joke. which was rather hard this year because the Redskins actually didn't do quite so bad, which I'm not complaining, but that makes the joke department a little bit hard for this year. Um, So I'm not going to make a joke, but I am going to say that um, I think from now on when we're at church, if we ever hear anything that um, we just really appreciate um, or we, we very much agree with, instead of shouting amen, I want us to shout, you like that, you like that. Um, I want that to be the new amen here in the D.C. area. Um, But anyways, I want you to think about a time in your life when you first fell in love. I want you to think about when you first fell in love, or not even when you first fell in love, but a time in your life when you fell in love. And let's say, today being Valentine's Day, it would be helpful if you thought about the time you fell in love with the person sitting near you right now. That would be um, a helpful modifier. Um, I want you to think about the thought process that you would have, uh, the emotions in your heart. Um, and and how you would feel during that time. Um, As I've already mentioned, I did go to Moody Bridal Institute, uh, otherwise known as Moody Bible Institute, and I have to say that being there for four years was extremely amusing, Um, not just because you learned about the Bible or theology, but because for four years you got to observe this incredible phenomenon where hundreds of people, roughly the same age, who believe in the same things from all over the world, are suddenly in the same place at the same time, with the same understanding that now is when I find a husband or a wife. 
So you see the freshmen coming in at the beginning of the fall, and it's rough out there. It's like the Hunger Games. It's, you see, and it's just uh, people are getting picked off, and everyone's uh, in couples, and it's like the first day of deer season. It's, it's brutal. Um, it is brutal, especially for those freshmen. That's, that's when it's really fun, because you don't realize it at the time, but you get older, and you become more cynical, and, and you become more observant. Um, and there was one specific phenomenon that I would notice at Moody that I want to share with you. Um, and the reason I want to share it with you is because I think maybe you have experienced something maybe similar in your lives, even though you didn't go to Moody. Um, and this phenomenon, which I have noticed, is something that I like to call the chapel stare. Now, the chapel stare is something that was named after Moody Chapel, which was basically a, um, their own version of a little church service that they would have at the beginning of school on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And as a Moody student, you had to go to two out of three of those chapels, um, uh, whether it would be on a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday. So you would go that morning, and everybody would be gathered around um, in the auditorium. People would be finding their seats. And as everyone was sitting down for chapel to begin, you would notice that instead of everyone's eyes being forward to whoever was speaking up front, Everyone would sit down, and you would just see 200 people slowly start to scan the room like this. Like Mr. Collins at the Bennett's house. It was just, it was odd. And seeing 200 people doing it at one time is kind of peculiar. And what would happen is people would be sitting down, and they're at college, and they're thinking about marriage and finding someone. And they sit down, and they look for that one guy or that one girl, which they have been twitipated with that they have had their hearts set on. So the girls will sit down and think, okay, where is he? Where is that dark brown hair and those big blue eyes? Where? Let's see. Oh, those are his friends. You know, maybe he's sitting over there. And the guys will sit down and they'll say, okay, where is she? And they'll scan the room. Whether they even admit it or not, they'll sit down. And once you find that person, target acquired. And for the rest of service, people will be sitting in chapel, and you'll just see their heads go, go like that, because they keep glancing over to whoever it is that they're looking at. And you'll get pretty good at it over time. They would realize, okay, well, this person is a Monday-Friday person. They're not so much a Monday-Wednesday person, or this person usually sits on that side of the room. And I don't know why we do it. Maybe you haven't done it. Maybe this is purely unique to Moody. Um, but I called it the chapel stare, because it would happen every year without fail. And I have to admit, I have been guilty of the chapel stare. There was this one girl. And I'll never forget, I was walking down the hallway... And I was minding my own business when all of a sudden, I stopped. Because there was a sudden change in my environment. And it was like the sun had broken through the clouds into the window right there in the hallway. And I noticed something was different. And I looked down the hallway. And there she goes. This girl that I did not know. I did not know her name. I did not know who she was. But she walks down the aisle. Uh, or down the hallway, I should say. Sorry, that's a Freudian slip. I'm engaged to her now. Um, she would walk down the hallway, and I would think, huh, very interesting. And during this time at Moody, I learned a very valuable lesson about that great word, which starts with a P that you learn about at Moody, and I'm not talking about propitiation. 
I started to pursue this girl. And I didn't know who she was. I didn't even know her name. And I would think to myself, if I could just know her name, that would be so awesome. If I could just know her name, that would be so awesome. Oh, her name is Kimmy. Oh, what a pretty name. Of course her name is Kimmy. I knew her name would be Kimmy. Oh, it's so pretty. And I would think, if I could just have a conversation with her, if I can just make sure that I'm at the end of the hallway when she gets out of class and maybe, you know, our paths will cross and we can just have a a quick 30-second conversation, that would be so awesome. I so desperately just wanted to know her. I just wanted to know her, to know her name, to know what her favorite color was, to know the things that she liked. But as I continued to pursue her, I got a little discouraged. And the reason I got discouraged was because I started to consider my resume. Now, I was going to show you all my resume here this morning. I had it all printed out and everything. Um, But most of you have probably made a resume at some time in your life. And and my resume that I was going to bring in was my very first resume that I had made in high school. And on this resume is a list of all of the different qualifications that I have, all the different services which I have to offer, the reasons why I would be a good hire, and I would take it to these different places of employment, these different fast food restaurants, and hand it to the person, and they would consider uh, my resume. But that's not the resume I'm talking about. No, when I started to get discouraged, it was because I was considering and thinking about the resume that I had in here. The resume which I believe that we all keep of ourselves. And I would think to myself, well, she's so amazing, she's so great, she's so godly, but while I'm not the best looking guy at Moody, I'm not the strongest, or I'm not the most athletic, I'm certainly not the godliest, and I would consider my resume and I would get discouraged because I would think it just just doesn't stack up. It doesn't add up. It wouldn't be a good hire. And I have a feeling that we do the same thing in our relationships here on earth. Especially in America, I think we have a tendency to look at relationships not based on something that is shared between two people, but rather as a transaction. We look at relationships as a transaction based on the resumes which we have to offer. So we might have a friend and we may say, well, um, it makes sense that we are friends because, well, this person enjoys this and they're very good at this and they're free on the weekends and um, they have the same amount of kids as me or they're retired and I'm retired. And we might think about ourselves and we we may say, well, I'm really nice, I'm a loyal friend, Um, I am also very good at this certain activity. So based on that, looking at our resumes, okay, this is a good fit. Or maybe in our marriages or in our romantic relationships, we would think, okay, it makes sense that we would be together because this person has qualifications which I desire and which which I need to be filled. Um, Maybe mainly she's a member of the opposite sex. uh, That that would be a big one. Um, And okay, and she's good at this, and she's a good cook, or um, she's really godly. And we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm a really good person, and I'm really protecting, and I have a good job. And we base the quality of our relationships on our resumes. And more importantly, I believe that we do that when it comes to our relationship with God. We base our relationship with God on our resume. 
So we look at God and we say, well, this is a no-brainer because God, he is holy and he is merciful and he is loving and he is forgiving and he is God over all and he has given grace and mercy. And it's a no-brainer why I would want to uh, know him. But I need to return the favor. Because he has been merciful and graceful, I need to be obedient and I need to be a good boy or a good girl um, to make sure that the relationship is a proper transaction. And if you don't believe me, let me ask you this question. How's your walk with the Lord going? What probably just happened in these past few seconds is one of two things. Some of you probably thought to yourselves, well, I've been going to church pretty regularly, and um, I've been following the book program in Pastor Lowell's class really well. Um, I even had a lot of great questions in, uh, in Pastor Brock's class about Corinthians, and, um, and I was talking to someone at work about the Lord the other day, and I haven't said that cuss word all week, and I've been really avoiding the certain sin that I've been dealing with. So yes, my relationship with the Lord is going well. The rest of us, we may think, well, that sin that I've really been struggling with, I just keep falling into it. Um, I can't get away from it. I argued with my spouse this week. Honestly, I haven't been getting in the word very much. I haven't been praying very much. So I guess my relationship with God is not very good. And what we do is we're basing our relationship not on what God has done, but what we are doing in return. We base the quality of our relationship on our resume. And what I want to talk about this morning is the idea that relationships don't require resumes, um, and that our, especially our relationship with God does not require um, the things that we do, not, not even for salvation, which is by grace, but also for something called sanctification, otherwise known as spiritual growth. And we're going to look at a guy who was dealing with that same issue when he was writing to a group of believers in Philippi. So we are going to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 2. Excellent. It is up there. Um, so please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read um, about uh, what Paul has to say about this idea of a relationship with God being based on a human resume or a human list of things that have been accomplished. And as you turn there, I want to give maybe, um, I want to make a quick note. And that note is that most of you are probably thinking, yes, Stephen, we've heard this sermon before. Um, yes, we know that salvation is by grace through faith. Yes, we know that it's a relationship and not a religion. We know that. But what I think is interesting is that um, Paul is going to um, refer to this. He is going to answer this issue by writing to a group of believers. Um, and let me read for you verse 2. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, where Paul says, Look out uh, for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. There was a big problem in the early church during this time in history of Christians, true believers in Jesus Christ, who falsely believed that in order to grow as a Christian or in order to become a mature Christian, the way to do that was to follow um, the practices of Judaism. So they would say, well, um, you may be a Christian, but in order to be an even better Christian, you have to be circumcised. 
And that's the issue that Paul is uh, dealing with and answering uh, here in this chapter. And even though um, probably none of us in this room uh, are Jews, that's not an issue that we deal with a lot in the church, I believe it's a great example of a problem that is very present in the American church, where we are oxymoronic in the fact that we believe that we are only saved by grace and not of works. But once we have become saved, we falsely believe that we have to earn our keep, that we have to somehow return the favor, and we have to prove to God that his choosing of us or his saving us was a good transaction. The fact that we are saved by grace, but now that we're Christians, we believe it's all about works, I believe is a contradiction, and I think Paul believes that also, because it was also happening in the first century um, with Judaism. So he says, look out for these people among you who will try to tell you those things. Look out for these people. And he goes on in verse 3 to say, we are the circumcision, um, we are the people of God, um, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself uh, have reason for confidence in the flesh. Paul is, uh, and I was just talking about this earlier this morning, Paul is going to put people in their place um, by essentially bragging about himself. Um, This is something that Paul tends to do a lot. um, But Paul is going to say, all of you Christians out there, all of you people who think that you are a mature Christian or maybe not a mature Christian based on the things that you have done of late, maybe you should get over yourselves because I think I have you beat. I have you be. And that's what he says, um, continuing on in verse 4. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, or confidence in resume, Paul says, I have more. So he says, okay, you may think that you are on this level of Christianity based on your resume. Uh, Let me read for you my resume. Let me read for you my resume. And I'm willing to bet that whatever you have to brag about on your piece of paper will not be as good as what I have to brag about on my piece of paper. And Paul gives us his resume. And I'm going to read that for you. And as I read for you Paul's resume, I want you to be thinking in your own hearts what your Christian resume would be. If you had to make a piece of paper that you were going to give to God someday when you died about all the reasons why you would get into heaven, um, or not even that, but all the reasons why you are a certain level of a mature Christian, Christian, what would you write down? And like I said, I know that you all know that we're only saved by grace, yet we live our lives as Christians that suggest that we believe that we have to somehow earn or improve on that with works. So anyways, let me read for you Paul's resume, and follow along with your own resume in in your own heart. Paul starts out in verse 5 by saying, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul starts out right off the bat by saying, You know what? I was not some late convert. I did not come in the eleventh hour. I was born of the nation of God. My father was a Jew, and his father was a Jew. And I didn't come late in the game. I was there from the beginning. And that's something that even in my life, I tend to put on my resume, thinking, oh, well, I was saved at the age of five. 
And I had great godly parents who took me to church, and I had a head start over everybody because I was learning those Sunday school stories uh, from a very early age. I didn't get into drugs or sex or partying and then come to Christianity. No, I started out that way. That's kind of what Paul's saying here with his resume. And then he continues on and he says, Concerning the law, or as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There's actually something very interesting to this. Pharisees during this time in history would have prided themselves in persecuting false teachers. Um, They would have been very proud of the fact that they had killed those who were teaching something other than the Old Testament. And the reason for that is because they looked at guys like Samuel and Elijah, who were considered um, examples of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And what they did was when there were false teachers, they would be slaughtered. And there's very R-rated examples of God's people killing uh, non-believers or um, people not conforming to Old Testament truth. So Paul, when he would persecute Christians, he actually was very proud of that. Um, He thought that he was the next Elijah um, because he was persecuting these non-believers, these Christians spreading this false gospel of this man who claims to be God. And to him, that was something that was very deserving of death, and he was happy to do it. And in fact, he saw that as something which ranked him above other Jews, because by him doing those things, it showed that he was so passionate and so zealous for the original Old Testament faith that he was willing to stop at nothing um, to protect it. So this was something that he was very proud of. And we may think the same thing. We may think, well, um, I was in Awana my whole life. Uh, there's a, there's an atheist at my work, and whenever we have an argument, I always win. I always win that argument. I've read all the books. I've read Lee Strobel. I know, I know all the different avenues of how to beat these guys. Um, I stand up for my faith at work. Um, I don't take anything. I, I don't settle. Uh, I, I'm really big and large and in charge. And when I go to church, people ask me for my opinion. When I sit in Sunday school class, I'm seen as one of the smarter people in the class. And people like to listen to what I say. And all of these things that we put on our resume, this is what makes us a more mature Christian in our minds. And this is the resume that Paul has given us. Now, what would your resume say? Um, Some of us would maybe say some of the things that I have mentioned. But others of us would say, well, you know what? I don't have much of a resume at all. I don't know what Calvinism is or dispensationalism is, and I'm just trying to keep up with the sermons on Sunday, and and I work, and I try to talk about the gospel, but I just always seem to flounder, and I don't really feel like I know all the points, and and I keep messing up in this area, and and I... feel like I'm supposed to be saved, but why do I keep sinning if I'm saved? Why do I keep doing this, but I keep doing it? And if there's anything I want us to take away from this um, sermon is that when we look at our resumes, there are two wrong reactions that we can have. One is pride. That's the obvious one. But another one is despair. Another one is self-hatred. The idea that God doesn't want me or I cannot be close to God as a Christian because I have failed in these areas. Um, There is both the sin of pride and the sin of hopelessness and despair. And I think either extreme is um, an inappropriate extreme. Um, So anyways, um, Paul, 
uh, he's going to continue on. And he says, but you know what? All of these things which I have to brag about, all of this stuff on my resume, all of these uh, things which I have to offer, this is what I think about those things instead. He says in verse 7, where he uses that great powerful word that starts with a B in the Bible, but, but whatever gain I had, whatever I had to put on my resume, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Count them as rubbish. To go back to my story about this girl that I would pursue. I got her. I pursued her. And, and I got her in the bag. And she, she was mine and she is here today. And yes, I pulled it off. Um, I went through and I pursued her. And we started a relationship. And, and now we're engaged. And you know what? I love her. She's a girl I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And I love her very much. And I remember we were talking one time. Uh, we were eating ice cream late night uh, in the car, eating ice cream. Um, and I feel like if it's ever late night in the car eating ice cream, I feel like that's when the truth really comes out. I mean, we don't drink. So, I mean, eating ice cream late at night in the car, that's about as real as it gets for us. Um, <laughs> and I remember asking her one time a very dangerous question. I don't even know if she would remember this. But I remember asking, and I don't know why, this was stupid. But I said, Kimmy... Why do you love me? <laughs> a very dangerous question. And she thought about it for maybe a split second and she said, I don't know. <laughs> you know, this was never supposed to be the funny part of the sermon, but it, I mean, it, that's okay. She says, I don't know, but I do. And you know, I like that better. I like that better because what it shows me is that... Um, the reason she loved me was not because of these certain things which I had to offer her. She didn't love me because she just desperately needed someone to hold the door open for her. Or she didn't desperately need someone to buy her flowers on Valentine's Day. Um, she didn't need any of that. But she likes it because she loves me. And then she, you know, she went on and she saved my pride and she gave me some reasons. But, but as I thought about that answer, I was actually very grateful for that answer. Because it made me realize that I don't have to keep up. Um, I, don't, I don't have to keep offering these qualifications or these skills in order for her to love me. She loves me just because, and I'm happy about that. And I'm happy to continue doing whatever it is, those things that I do for her. And in some ways, I wish our relationship with God was maybe a little bit more like that. Many of us want to be servants for God. Many of us want to do great things for God. We want to build great churches for God. We want to lead many people to Christ for God. We want to raise godly families for God. And that's good. Many of us want to do things for God, but not nearly enough of us want to live with God. Many of us want to be servants, but not nearly enough of us want to be sons. Not nearly enough of us want to be daughters. We're like that prodigal son who breaks off that relationship with his father because of disobedience and sin, and he comes back, head hung low, thinking to himself, I have done so much wrong. 
if he would just take me back as a slave, if he would just take me back as a servant, that would be good enough. I'm not asking for much after what I've done. If, if he would just take me back as his servant, that would be good. And the old man looks out the window and sees that familiar speck coming down the driveway. And he slams open the screen door and leaps down the front porch steps, down the gravel road to where his son is. And he says, my son has returned. Many of us want to be servants. Not nearly enough of us want to be sons. We want to do good things for God because maybe that's a way to save our pride a little bit. Maybe that's a way to maybe try to owe, uh, owe him back a little bit for all the things that he's done for us. And if we don't do those things, then, well, we get discouraged and we think, well, maybe I'm not saved at all. And I don't want us to think that this sermon is anti-obedience because it's not. I'm not saying that obedience to the Lord is unnecessary or unimportant. All the more so. Because what is the Lord's greatest commandment that he has given us? Love the Lord your God. And just like Martha wanted so greatly to serve the Lord, and I think she sincerely wanted to please the Lord by serving Him and doing things for Him, and I think that she had a good, sincere heart in doing that, what God really wanted, what Jesus really wanted, was someone to spend time with her. He didn't want someone to serve for Him. He just wanted someone to be there with Him. Um, And that's what Mary did. And that's an attitude that we need to have as Christians. Not that we need to fill a laundry list of things that we do for God, because God does not need our servitude. He does not need us as servants. He has the angels. He has uh, anyone can do at his will what he beckons. It says even the mountains will bow down. Even nature will obey God if he demands it. He does not need our servitude. But he wants us as sons. And he wants us as daughters. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. He says, all the things which we have to offer, all the things that we can do, all the things on our resume, good or bad, they are rubbish. Garbage compared to knowing Christ. That's what Paul wanted. He wanted to know Christ. Just like I wanted to know Kimmy. I would think to myself, if I could just know her name, if we could just spend one conversation, if we could just have one conversation together, that would be so awesome. I was desperate to spend time with her because I thought she was wonderful. And I wanted to spend time with her. What if we had that same feeling about God? I didn't look at Kimmy and say, that girl really needs someone to hold doors open for her and talk to her about her spiritual, uh, spiritual growth and she just really needs someone in her life. I didn't think that. I didn't base it off of need. Honestly, I based it off of want. I wanted to spend time with her. And what, and what word does Paul use in this passage? He later says, I want to know Christ. Um, let me continue reading from where I have left off. He says, indeed, um, I account everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that my, I might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a resume or a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know him. And as we think about this Valentine's Day, and as you think about the special people in your life and the special relationships that you have in your life, 
I'm willing to bet that at least to a certain degree, um, the reason why um, you love that person is not because you feel like you owe them any type of servitude, but because you just desperately uh, enjoy spending time with that person. You enjoy doing the same things together. You enjoy talking with that person. And that's the same type of relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It's not a transaction of something that is exchanged, but instead it is something that is shared between two people. What is it that we share with Christ? Let me tell you. Continuing on in verse 10, he says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and, um, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Relationships don't require resumes. But as far as our relationship with God goes, it did require reconciliation. It did require redemption. It required a sacrifice. It required a death. We needed to die because we were sinners. And the old self could not go to heaven because that old self was a sinner by nature. Their identity, we, our identity was as sinners. That was the first line on our resume. And what we share with Christ is just the fact that Christ has died on the cross. Paul says uh, later in Romans that we have been crucified with Christ. Hey, Jesus died on the cross. We died with him. That is something that is shared in our relationship with Christ. Christ suffers uh, in his earthly ministry. We also suffer. And I'm not talking about when someone laughs at you for being a Christian at work. I'm talking about when you suffer because of sin. When you're dealing with the temptation of sin and you're so angry and you just want to react. And you take a deep breath and you walk away. There's some suffering in that, is there not? There's some suffering involved uh, in dying to sin. Which is why Paul calls it dying to sin. And Jesus Christ died for sin. So as we look at our relationships, let me remind you that our relationships are not based on our resumes... They are not based on what we have to offer each other, but they are based on what is shared between each other. And my question for you is, do you want to know Christ? And that's not an evangelistic statement. If you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, then yes, my question, do you want to know Christ? But I'm also talking to Christians in this room. Do you want to know Christ? I'm not asking, do you want to adopt a theology that says you should know Christ? That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking, do you want to know him? Do you truly want to know Christ, and are you desperate to know him better in a way that can only be satisfied by reading in his word and praying to him and talking and walking with him? Do you want that? Imagine what this church would look like if instead of us all being Christians who considered our resumes and who kept score with each other uh, on all the different qualifications that we have compared to each other, imagine if we were all just a group of believers desperately in love and desiring to know the Lord better. How many Facebook debates would just seem so meaningless? How many words of gossip would just seem so silly when we stop worrying about our resume that we have to offer God, and as a body of believers, we decide... We are going to pursue Christ, just like maybe you pursued someone special in your life. And we are going to pursue Christ and desperately try to know him better. Imagine where this church would be. Imagine where the American church would be if we did that. In close, 
I would like to leave you with um, a memory of a, fam- of a favorite country song of mine. Um, a good old country song by a guy named Paul Overstreet uh, called I Won't Take Less Than Your Love. And in this song, there are three verses. And in the first verse, well, let me say that all three verses are about a relationship. The first verse is between um, a man and his wife. The second verse is between um, a mother and a son. And the third verse is between a man or a woman and God. And in every verse, there's this idea that uh, the the singer asks, what do I owe you for what you have done for for me? He starts out going to his spouse and saying, how much do I owe you for everything that you've given me, for all the great stuff that you have done? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to buy you a house? Do you want me to buy you jewelry? What do you want? And the man goes to the mom and says, well, how much do I owe you for taking such good care of me and raising me and loving me? How much do I owe you? Just name the price. And finally, in the third verse, the man looks up to God and says, how much do I owe you for all that you have done for me? Do you want me to build you a temple? Do you want me to build you a church? Do you want me to save the world? Just name the price and I will do it. And the answer is same for all of those three verses. And the answer is, I won't take less than your love. And that's what Christ tells us. He doesn't need us as servants, but he wants us as sons. And he doesn't need us to live for him. He wants more than that. He wants us to live with him. And the obedience will come. Just like I love my fiance, and I take such good care of her, not because I feel like I need to, but because I want to, because I spend time with her. And that's what the Lord is asking. He's saying, I will not take less than your love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a Lord of love. Thank you for being a God who um, is good to us in all things, even when uh, your definition of good is not the same as our definition of good. And may we seek to love others the way that you have loved us. And may we look at our resumes not as a list of qualifications, but as a sheet of paper blood-stained with the blood of the Lamb, Lord. Um, And may you see that, and may you see that as good and righteous, because it is from your Son. And in your Son's name we pray. Amen.